ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast, Web3 Weekly. As always, Jeff Krantz in the house. How you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. How are you, Vernon? Doing well. Um, things are kind of crazy right now in the Web3 crypto space. There's a lot going on. Uh, more recently, depending on when you uh, watch this episode, I recently saw a tweet um, that you sent over, Jeff. Um, what is it? Terra Luna. For 40 billion of, of investors' money loss, 3AC, um, 10 billion in assets to bankruptcy. A Voyager owes 1.3 billion to 100,000 creditors, and Celsius owes millions to over 100,000 creditors and is in the process of filing for bankruptcy. So, what the heck is going on? Yes, yes, quite the intro, quite the hook. Um, and quite the clickbait too, I would say. Um, we're seeing these stories all over the place. They're making it all the way to you know nightly news, um, and it's terrible. People are losing a lot of money. You know, hundred thousand creditors or or million creditors, whatever it said. Uh, those are like for the most part real everyday people sure. that trusted these platforms to save their money or earn a return, uh, and that money was mismanaged. Um, and or there was some fraud involved, and now that's mo that money seems to be gone. Uh, people are unable to withdraw their funds, and there's a big question mark of what happened here. Um, so, you know, I guess to jump in a little bit, the first thing that I'd like to comment on is, you know, you'll see, you'll see in the news crypto hack or crypto funds lost or you know uh, whatever. Crypto is being used in the headlines and or the word DeFi, which maybe we can go into in a second what that means. But I think what I'd really like to underline is all of these platforms that we've mentioned, these are not DeFi or crypto platforms. These are Web2 institutions uh, that were involved in this fraud. It's just so happens that people were able to deposit or withdraw cryptocurrency. So maybe I'll start there and and that's Maybe, and that's uh, a big distinction, right? So for yeah. anyone who hasn't listened to previous episodes of the podcast, Jeff and I talked about what that act what 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 the distinction between web two, web two and web three is. So yep. yeah, continue. Yep, yep, perfect. So the two words, if you get nothing else out of this five episode mini series about web three, the two words I want you to remember is what does web three mean? It means user control. Does the user ultimately have control over their funds, over their NFT, over whatever it might be, over the platform? And that's the distinction I'll make on, you know, we mentioned uh, Celsius, Voyager, Three Arrows Capital. None of these were Web3 platforms because the users weren't in control of their funds on these platforms. They sent their funds to these platforms for those funds to manage, to be managed on their behalf. So for example, you know, one of these sites make, might say, I think you sent over a quote that said, um, I forget which one was, I think Celsius was offering 15% APR on your US dollar deposits, uh, which first off, like alarm bells should be going off at that point. If you ever see anything like that, crypto yeah. or otherwise, uh, maybe that's a note we could touch on in a second. Uh, but basically what you would do is you would take your US dollar coin or your Ethereum or your Bitcoin and you would send it over to Celsius, and then it was in their hands. Uh, to use the wallet example I've used before, it's literally like you took the money out of your billfold, and I handed it to you, Vernon, and you said, don't worry about the rest. 
the 15% will be coming to you. Your money is safe. Trust me. Right. And in crypto, like the one thing I never want to hear is trust, like, trust me, like the whole kind of point in crypto, once again, I control my funds. I don't have to trust you. We trust the blockchain and the way that that works. And, and that's where the trust should end. So anyway, in the example I was giving, I've given you a hundred dollar bill. You said, don't worry about it. I'll give you $115 back at the end of the year. And then at some point you come back to me and say, uh, you know, bad news. I took the money and went to Vegas and put it on the roulette wheel and I lost. And now I don't have your money anymore. That's more what's happened in these instances is it's not a coincidence that this money is now missing during this big crypto crash or this big, you know, economy crash in general, uh, stock markets down, real estate looking like it might be down. Crypto is very much down. That's when these things start falling apart. Um, and so that's what you're seeing right now. This, and this is very interesting because from the outside looking in, I know, Jeff, you've been doing this. You've been in this space for a decade. I'm just getting into it. Um, f- to me, like like all of the alarms are going off and I'm going, all right, I knew it. Crypto was a scam. I'm never putting my money into any of these things back to hustling the old way, right? Um, yep. sh- short-lived, uh, romanticized utopian fantasy um, back to reality. But what you're saying is that these, that basically the, these, they were posing as Web3 platforms and they're not essentially Web3 platforms because user control was never at the forefront. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So um, they happened to, once again, accept Bitcoin and Ethereum as modes of deposit. But besides that, it's no different than them saying, you know, wire me 10 grand to this bank account and I will give you a 15% return on that, like a normal bank or a hedge fund. Um, So that's the distinction. And maybe it's a good time to go into, okay, then what would be an example of the crypto or the Web3 version of an investment like this? And that's something called DeFi or decentralized finance. Um, and I'll, I'll just jump in and kind of give a quick explanation of that. And then maybe we can break it down a little bit. Um, so what's the difference between centralized finance, CFI and decentralized finance, DeFi. So once again, it's about user control in centralized finance. I send my money to the bank. The bank then controls it. At some point I can come back and say, Hey, I've got this money. I'd like to take it back in decentralized finance. Uh, we're interacting with smart contracts. And I don't want to get uh, too over our heads and what that means, but basically like the purest form of DeFi right now is I can use a smart contract to lend my crypto directly from me to you, someone who's looking to borrow that crypto. And then you'll pay me typically, you know, some percentage to borrow that. And it's all facilitated on chain through a smart contract. Um, And the big difference there is, that money, it's a totally transparent in terms of my money went to you. You know, I know if you don't pay it back, um, I'll get some sort of collateral there. And uh, I guess what I'm hearing you say, um, it like it's on the like it's on the a smart contract. It's on the blockchain, right? So so there is there's a check and balances. I give you a hundred dollars. It's on the I I deposit a hundred dollars on the blockchain. It's there. 
and a smart contract, it's embedded into the technology. It can't just be manipulated or like, um, you know, somebody can't just show up and be like, oh, I'm just going to take this $100, right? Yep. Okay. Transparently, I can deposit my money into a smart contract on the blockchain. And like you said, I could see it's there. Maybe it's being used to generate some return in a transparent way, but it's not just kind of disappearing where I don't have any visibility into what's happening on it. Got it. So full visibility, you can full transparency, you can see what's going on. Nobody can kind of like hold the, uh, the, 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 the wool over your eyes. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that's not to say that nothing can go wrong. If I, you know, back to this example I've said before, which is let's say through DeFi, I lend you a hundred dollars. You agree to pay me $105 back, uh, at the end of the term, at the end of the year. It's not that you know you could potentially not pay me back, but I have visibility into you know what are the rules, what happens if you don't pay me back, and I get a kind of I can get kind of visibility once again into oh it looks good that Vernon's going to pay me back if he doesn't here's the risks versus just this totally uh, black box system that these centralized entities were using in a Web two way. Okay, got it. So it sounds like we're clear on. The distinction between what actually like web web two versus web three, and we're clearing the distinction yeah. between uh C Fi and DeFi. Now, yep. if like so, what do you do now? Right. I, I know there's a lot of people that have lost money, unfortunately. Um yep. and there seems to be this uh this conversation online say like where you know we all we we all took the risk, you know. Who's to blame? You knew what you were getting yourself into. I don't know if you want to comment on that, but I guess yeah. moving forward, like, what do you do, right? Like, how do you pr- how do you protect yourself from something like this happening in the future if you got caught up in this? Yeah, so I think there's two things. Um, I think the first is if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Like. 20% APR on a US dollar deposit in an environment where interest rates are, you know, whatever, 0.1%, like alarm bells are going off a little bit there. Yeah. But you're being told, oh, it's crypto, like things are different, like, you know, it's DeFi, money's moving around, it can be done. So I understand where some people got caught up there. Um, but I think number two goes back to what we, a term I've used, I think, twice on the podcast before, which is not your keys, not your cheese. Uh, And what that means is, once again, if the money isn't sitting in your wallet, your crypto wallet, which once again, we can think of as your billfold that actually holds your cash, or in a digital sense, the billfold that holds your cryptocurrency, then it's at risk. Um, There's a quote that I love, which is, you know, it's from a longtime crypto holder. He says, you know, I've been getting whatever, 200% a year for the last 10 years, just holding Bitcoin. Why do I have to risk that to get another, risk all of that to get another 10%, which I think is a really good way of looking at it. Um, And I think maybe what would be good to talk about right now is, you know, okay, fine. I get it. Not your keys, not your cheese, but I don't trust myself holding my keys. The other half of this is, you know, I've heard about people getting hacked. How can I avoid getting hacked? You know, what are the steps that I can take? and I could go into that a little bit right now. So the 
quickest and easiest way to hold your own keys is you can basically install what's called a software wallet, which basically holds your 12 word passphrase, which I think we've spoken about before on the podcast. We have, yeah. Um, yep. And just to go over that again once more, what your wallet is at the end of the day is basically a, uh, a secret phrase, which is 12 words like camel, light, leaf. I'm just looking around the room. Lamp, 12 words like that. And if anyone ever gets their hands on those 12 words, your, your crypto wallet has been hacked or has been stolen. It's important that you keep those words safe no matter what. It's like, make sure you keep your password to your email safe, right? Right. And so a software wallet is a wallet that lives on your computer. And then let's say that you want to buy an NFT or deposit some crypto into your wallet, whatever it might be. Um, you click a button on that wallet that says, you know, buy or sign or sell or whatever it might be. And it will send a transaction that basically, you know, buys that NFT or buys that crypto and puts it into your crypto wallet. The issue here potentially is because it lives on your computer and your computer is connected to the internet, there is a potential risk that someone could hack into your computer and get your 12 words and then hack your cryptocurrency, right? Um, so maybe I'll give you a chance. I've been talking a lot. Maybe give you a chance to ask any questions that have come up so far, if any. Yeah, so as I understand it, like the the example of the billfold, right? Like that's my wallet, yep. right? So it's my virtual billfold. The 12 mm-hmm. words or my seed phrase is the equivalent to the keys to my house or my apartment. I wouldn't just leave those laying around willy nilly. Obviously there's more, you know, I'm more cautious about where I put them. Um, And so that's in my mind, that's how I envision or like make sense of it. Yeah. Perfect. Um, And so rule number one, and this is where a lot of people end up getting hacked is they will take their 12 words and they'll store it in Dropbox or they'll take a picture of it and they'll store it in Apple Photos, or they will, you know, whatever, send themselves an email with their 12 words. But once again, you need to remember that all of those platforms are going up and living somewhere on the internet. You don't know who at Apple might have access to those, who at Dropbox might have access to those, who at Gmail might have access to those. Or once again, if any of those platforms get hacked, that hacker will then have access to your 12 words. So I see that I think typically attack vector number one is someone making that mistake. It's easier for that to get exposed than for someone to gain access to your machine. Uh, Issue number two is, okay, let's say someone does get a virus into your machine and they're able to get it. Or another one I've seen is like a screen share. You're doing a screen share with someone who's pretending to be support from Coinbase or something like that. And they say, okay, go ahead and open up this file here and then you open it up and then your your passphrase shows up and they take a screenshot of it or whatever and the next thing you know, your money's gone. Um, I've got a solution to all of these, so bear with me because I'm just making it seem scarier than I probably even <laughs> did before. Um, and then another attack vector is, um, well, let's stay on the path of the seed phrase. I'll talk about another one in a second. So, okay. I'm scared, Jeff. You've made me more worried than I was before. I'm definitely going to get hacked. I don't want to hold my own keys and my own cheese because I'm just going to end up giving it up because 
I don't know how to prevent someone from hacking me. Okay, so that's where what's called a hardware wallet comes into place. And a hardware wallet is a little device, uh, looks like a USB stick basically, with a little screen on it. And that hardware device basically generates its own 12 word passphrase on the device. And that passphrase never leaves the little USB device, which hooks up to your computer via USB cable. And so because that device is not hooked up to the internet, then no one can hack your 12 words. And so then what happens is, let's say you want to buy some crypto, you can actually get the address from the device and send all of your funds to this device. Or if you want to get it off, there's buttons on the device where you can send a transaction and send your funds off of the device. And this is the way that this is kind of the state of the art for how to keep your funds safe and how to keep yourself from getting hacked. And so the, you, you, you lose a little bit of UX by having this hardware device because you have to have it with you. And every time you want to do something on the blockchain, you need to get it out and you know, kind of press these buttons on this little USB stick. Sure. Um, so typically the right solution really is some mixture of a software wallet and a hardware wallet. So you know, you might keep a couple hundred bucks or depending on what your risk tolerance is on your software device. And that's what you're kind of using for daily use, you know, maybe buying NFTs or whatever it might be. And then your hardware device is for maybe your larger balances, anything over a thousand dollars or some NFT that's really valuable for you. You kind of keep that on your hardware device. So that's kind of the state of the art of safety or security from a seed phrase or wallet perspective today. Got it. And then, so like, it sounds like a combination, like you're saying, a combination of both of the two would be legit. Um, the best way to keep things legit. Is this a thing that people go out and buy from Amazon or like, where do they get it? Like, how does that happen? Great question. Awesome question. So you can get them on Amazon. Um, but the thing to be careful with, and I just want to give people all of the risks, the thing to be careful, careful with on Amazon is anyone can sell pretty much anything on Amazon. You can go sign up to be an Amazon retailer. So it is possible that someone could sell a knockoff hardware wallet that has 12 words that they are familiar with already preloaded that then you could then buy and you deposit into it and your funds could be stolen. Once again, another fear that I'm bringing up to you. Um, so that's why I always recommend go directly to the manufacturer's website and buy a hardware wallet directly from the manufacturer. Uh, I can put this in the YouTube notes, links to the top two hardware wallet solutions. There's kind of two main competitors, uh, Ledger and Trezor. Uh, I use a Trezor myself. I would recommend that one. Um, but I, I know a lot of people that use a Ledger as well. And like I said, I recommend purchasing it directly from the manufacturer just to have that peace of mind that it came straight from, from them to you. Um, and not have to worry about that. Perfect. Perfect. And, um, also in terms of, you know, like if, I, if, so I get, I get the, the hardware wallet I'm stored. I store, ideally I store everything there. If it's over a thousand dollars or whatever. Um, yep. what, is there anything else that I need to be aware of? I guess the security part to me seems like that's pretty self-explanatory. I'm thinking back to when we first met in Miami and we talked about this in the very first episode, you had this thing called min max regret, mini max regret. Yep. 
Yep. Do you think that's something that is a form of like cover your assets CYA that people could use? Would that be relevant to talk about? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll start by defining what is Minimax regret. Um, so Minimax regret is a decision framework. It stands for minimize maximum regret. So it's basically think about what is what could happen in my life in general that's going to leave me with just this massive feeling of regret where I'm going to, you know, it's going to basically ruin my life. And how do I minimize that those outcomes from happening? How do I make that the least likely thing that could happen? Like an example is like Tiger Woods on the golf course famously says like, he's not necessarily when he's picking his shot, aiming for the best shot. He's more so looking like, what are the worst things that can happen? Sure. Like, I definitely don't want to go in the water. I definitely don't want to go in the bunker. So, but I'm more likely, I'm more willing to go in the bunker than I am to go in the water. <laughs> so maybe I'm going to aim this shot a little bit towards the bunker, right? That's like a, a version of mini max regret. Or Jeff Bezos said like, he was working in a cushy job in private equity, making a lot of money when he was, I don't know, 30 or something early in his career. And he heard about the internet and he was excited about it. And he was trying to decide like, should I stay at my cushy job or should I go and start Amazon? And he used this framework of like, if when I'm on my deathbed, do I want to look back on my life and say, I just stayed in private equity and cast checks? Or do I want to say, you know, I went for it and I started, you know, this insane trillion dollar company <laughs> that has happened with Amazon. So he, he took that shot. So mini max regret. It's a framework I use in my, you know, decision-making and I think security is a great way to think of it. So um, I said, you know, you can store some funds in your, in your hardware wallet. You can store some funds in your software wallet. How do you decide, you know, what that mix is? And I think Minimax regrets a great way to do it. Like if my software wallet gets hacked, what's the number that would leave me with like maximum regret? Okay, I want to make sure I have less than that amount of money on my software wallet at all times. I didn't get a hardware wallet, you know, for my first couple of years in crypto because, you know, my number of max regret was larger than the amount that I had in crypto. So I was able to just kind of keep it on my computer and feel pretty good that, you know, in this small chance I do get hacked, it's not enough money where it's going to leave me, you know, leave me feeling terrible about it. Um, another way that I use mini max regret in crypto, a little bit off of the security standpoint, but just in general, I think a good one is just evaluating my portfolio. Crypto is so volatile that like that number of your net worth that is invested in crypto, it might have started as 1%, but then maybe you're, you know, you're in Dogecoin and it goes up 100x. And the next thing you know, 50% of your net worth is in Dogecoin. Well, it's good to take a step back and say, how am I going to feel? How much max regret am I going to feel if Dogecoin goes back from, you know, up 100x to back to below what I put in? You're going to feel terrible. You could have, right. you know, you could have bought a house, you could have paid off your student loans, whatever it is. Right. And I think it's important to check in and say, how can I avoid that maximum regret? Yeah, I like I like that. It's it's your you're kind of hedging your risk if you will. Right. Um, you're, exactly. You're being prudent about, okay. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's high highs and there's a lot of potential gain, but there's also like, it swings the opposite way as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if, I think maybe you and I have spoken about it, but I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast, which is it goes both ways. 
like it's pretty easy to say like oh take some profits like that's like a general like risk management standpoint it's like oh you know you doubled your money take off half and your break even like that's not that in- necessarily that interesting or that groundbreaking but part of it that's interesting too is like the bezos example isn't about really hedging his risk it was about being able to capitalize on this massive gain and that's really part something that i learned you know i i think i mentioned in episode 0 i bought bitcoin at $35 and you know i sold a lot of it at 200 or whatever and i felt great at the time but using the mini max regret framework maybe i would have realized you know i believe in this thing i believed in it the whole time i wanted to you know i was young and i wanted to take some profits and whatever you know buy a car or whatever um but you know looking at the long term mini max i might have said well i'm going to feel pretty dumb if this thing goes from 200 to you know it hit 60,000 right <laughs> so there's yeah. definitely some regret there it's not max regret um but i think that's the other important part and you know yeah. just in practice the way that i run my mini max regret uh analysis is i'll actually do both sides of the equation which is one okay if my portfolio crashes 90% how do I, it's just kind of a feeling right here, right? Or like in your gut, like, does it, does it make my stomach churn if that happened? If it does, okay, I got to take some risk off. But then I also run the other side and I just, I 10X everything or I 20X my portfolio. And I say, okay, if this happens and I sold too much, also, how does that make my stomach feel? So it's really kind of both sides. And it's just, uh, you know, I know I'm a little off topic on security, but that's just kind of, I think a great framework to use in general. Some people say that, you know, they're not gamblers or they don't like investing. They don't like the risk. Everyone is a gambler. Every decision you make has an upside and a downside. So I think it's important to, you know, look at life that way and think of every decision as what's the the upside, what's the downside and make your decisions based on that. Yeah. And and although it's not, it's not uh, directly linked to security, I think in this, in the context of what's going on in the climate, yep. I think it's very, it could be a very valuable tool for people out there that, you know, even if you're getting into the game, you're like, okay, well, what's the, what's the maximum amount of money I'm comfortable losing if something like this were to happen? Absolutely. You know, hopefully, God forbid, you know, like if I was to get swindled or, you know, somebody's promised me something like, am I going to be comfortable putting my life savings into right. this? Probably not, you right. know, Absolutely. probably not going to want to have the conver- have that conversation with your spouse or, you know, your family or, you know, your uncle who, you know, invested in you, you know, so exactly. I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's uh, timely for people. For sure. Yeah. Um, I think an example I have personally is, you know, I take crypto out on a regular basis for, my taxes, you know, at the end of the year to pay, to know, okay, here's my gains. I need to have this amount to cover my taxes at the end of the year. Um, there's a, that's, so that's sitting in us dollars or a us dollar coin in crypto. There's a temptation. There was a temptation or at least a thought of, Hey, I should take this and invest it in something that will take my us dollar coin and give me some sort of a return until April comes around. Right. Like right. whether that's the 2%, whatever, you know, 1% Amex savings account or the 20%, you know, Voyager returns. Um, but I think really kind of, once again, what grounded me in thinking about, okay, should I do this is, man, it's going to, 
it's really going to be bad if the, one of these platforms goes bust as it has, and you know I don't have the funds to cover my taxes. That's going to be an absolute max regret. Yeah, totally. you know, Uncle Sam is knocking at your door then type thing. So um, yes, I agree that it does kind of get. It is a good way to think of security as well. Awesome, Jeff. I think we covered a, a solid foundation here. We talked about um, CFI. Yeah. We talked about DeFi. We made the distinction between, um, you know, Web two again and Web three, and we talked about security. You know, some of the things that people could do between the the online, uh, having a software a storage wallet, and then having a, a, a cold yep. wallet, and then we we talked a little about a little bit about min max regret. Is there anything else that you feel like we should cover or speak on before we, you know, let the people take off here? Anything else? Um, hmm. I don't think so. I just think I would just underline and say, not your keys, not your cheese. I just, you know, I, I, I tweeted out earlier today that I think really step one in this whole process is I think you've got to try to understand and buy in on that concept with not your keys not your cheese you know user control web3 like until you kind of grasp that and understand that it sounds simple but it almost needs to be a value that you're like yes i get it it's important here's why it's important i think until you reach that point like blockchain and crypto won't really make sense to you and maybe you won't be able to get that passion or that um What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, conviction. Mm -hmm. Like that's the important part in this space is being able to pick like, this is so cool. I'm con I have conviction here. That's why I'm doing it versus like, I want to make a quick 15% or 10X. Like, I just don't think that strategy is ever really going to work out for you. Um, so I'm just going to underline that point, which is take some time to think about and try and understand decentralization, user control. And is that important to you? Maybe it's not. Um, but I think that's going to make all the difference. Awesome, Jeff. Well, thanks again. Um, we will be back with the next episode really soon, guys. Share this out. Let everybody know. And uh, take care. Be smart. Absolutely. Bye.